Welcome to Midnight Slumber. I am your host, Zach Miller. Join me as we take a journey through the alternate realities that take place after midnight. Our story for this episode focuses on the clashing of realities. What do you do when someone you would never meet shows up and holds everything in your life hostage? Enjoy the story called Cowboy Time Heist. The sun peers through the tall windows, shining its radiance on the sweeping spiral staircase where I am sitting. I'm seated on the middle step, halfway between the first and second floor. Below me on the first floor is where my old college classes are, with fake marble floors and dull wooden doorways leading to hundreds of science and math classes. Above me is my house, filled with my friends and family waiting for me to come inside and join them. The brick exterior smiles at me as I sit here inside this glass bubble. What's fantastic about sitting here is the freshly carpeted stairs. They are a nice bright white, indicating just how clean they are. The carpet shines with a brilliance of glass. Thankfully, it's not made of glass, otherwise it would be uncomfortable. Watching the fluffy white clouds slowly pass by, I try to make out the different shapes. One is an octopus swimming along with a smile which seems to wave its tentacles at me as it passes by. Another is a giant bunny with a pile of fluffy white carrots. The longer I look, the more animals seem to appear. My girlfriend laughs as a dolphin gets hit in the face with a cloud pie. (laughs) I look over at her and don't see her next to me. I swore I heard her laugh. I look up, down, and everywhere around me, but don't see her anywhere. Again, I listen to her laugh, but this time it's much further away. I stand, trying to get a better view of the area. I look down at the hallway, thinking maybe she was heading down to a class. But I still don't see her. Actually, I don't see anyone. There is no one around. This place is unnaturally empty. She laughs again, but this time, it's behind me. (laughs) I turn to look up the stairway when I see a massive crowd flooding out of my front door. They barrel down the top of the steps, heading straight for me. As people come rushing by, they almost knock me down. There are so many people bumping into me and towering over me that I can't see my two-story house anymore. The force of the crowd pushing by me is so great, I can feel myself starting to fall backwards down the stairs. I turn around to step down and prevent myself from falling. When my foot touches the step below me, Another massive crowd comes rushing up the steps, competing with the others who are traveling down. Both groups are now smushing me as they bump into me from every direction. It's disorienting as I can't see anything around me very well. Being knocked around, bumped back and forth, I realize I am starting to travel upward between people. The crowd is so dense that I am not touching the stairs anymore. I am carried upward with them as they move. People are shouting, trying to talk over one another, creating one loud, inaudible noise. As they converse in a deafening way, 
I am finally brought to the top of the steps and through the front doorway. People now scatter in whichever direction they please as they enter the double doors. The people dispersing causes me to fall back to my feet. As I land, I start to lose my balance but catch myself before I can fall straight on my rear. People continue to pass by me as they head off into the various rooms that make up my house. I look around to see where they are going, but inside my home, it's massive and dark. Only the light coming in through the doorway illuminates the small section of new carpet that I stand in. I look down, and the carpet is now dirty and covered in muddy footprints of all sizes. Around me, I can see people, vaguely, as they fade in and out of the darkness as they come and go. The dark void is thick. I can only see a few feet into it. Something about the darkness lets me know not to venture into it. One sign is that the people coming out of it are faceless. These faceless people rush out as if they are late for something. Even with no eyes, ears, or any form of sense, they manage to know that I am in front of them and avoid running into me. I hear a laugh from behind me. A loud, deep laugh. <laughs> I turn and see a massive cloud in the sky. It is a cowboy's face slash skull with a big hat staring down at me and an evil smile. It continues to laugh when it finally says, We have your girl and your family. If you want them back, then follow the purple man. With that, the cloud fades away into a clear sky. Loud footsteps come from behind me, and a tall, lanky, almost skeletal, and you guessed it, purple man steps out from the darkness and passes me by in one giant step. As he ducks under the door, I can see his clothes are ragged and torn. I turn to follow this purple giant down the stairs, running what feels like a hundred steps for every one step he takes. I'm winded by the time I reach the bottom of the stairs, and as I continue in pursuit, he leads me through the big glass doors and onto the brick and cobblestone road outside. Outside, the sky looks oily, like someone has blown a giant bubble. The trees and plants are vibrant with life, so much so that the gardeners are literally fighting the plants. The ivy is trying to rip the hedge clippers out from one of the gardener's hands, while the bushes are punching another gardener in the face for trying to trim it back. One of the gardeners is racing up and down the street. He has a souped-up lawnmower and is trying to keep the grass at a constant level. As I pass by them, they tell me to hurry up. They want this to stop so they can go home. They are tired of fighting these plants. I am confused to why they think I can help. I already have a hard time keeping pace with this tall purple man as he walks. Looking up at the purple man, I see him staring back at me with his empty eyes. His stare creeps me out, so I look back down in front of me to see where I'm going instead. I recognize this place as my old childhood neighborhood. The streets are older and cracked, but nothing so bad as to say no one lives here, just wear from age. As we hurry down the main entrance, I can see the pool off to my left. It looks updated with a new high dive and a giant red water slide. 
The slide twists in all kinds of directions as it snakes across the pool, spewing out water. However, no one is using it. No one is at the pool, even though the weather is perfect for it. As we approach the parking lot, I can tell that it is empty. Well, almost empty. One bright purple van is parked in the center of this large parking lot. On top of this purple van is a metal cowboy hat. The tall, soulless purple man I have been following comes to a stop and puts his bony hand in front of me to get me to stop. He is silent and statuesque as he stares intently at the van in front of us. The driver's side door opens and another tall man dressed in leather and a black cowboy hat steps out. He must be no shorter than eight feet tall. Not quite as tall as the purple man, but close. His head is tilted low as he approaches me. The snakeskin on his hat rattles as he gets closer. Chains that are bound to his wrist are rusted and broken. He wears these chains if they were a fashion accessory to him. His boots are spiked on all sides, designed never to give his horse a chance to rest. He pulls a long and rusted bowie knife from his weathered black belt and points it at me. He stops to stand over me, with the blade of his knife resting on my shoulder. The shadow from his hat hides his face, but I can tell it's rough and worn from his travels. After this cruel cowboy sizes me up and confirms who I am, he moves back over to the side door and raises his head to look at me. He smiles with a big sinister grin and says, Mama, do I have something for you? Not sure what he's getting at. I just stare at him, hoping maybe my intense glare will intimidate him. He chuckles. So I guess my stare down isn't working. He continues. I need you to perform your magic so that my men and I can get back to our time. If you don't, you can say goodbye to your girl and your family. I look at him, confused as I have never done anything magical. He looks back at me with annoyance and frustration, and he signals to the purple man. The purple man moves his giant bony hand behind me and pushes me forward. I stumble, trying not to fall over from the force of the push. As I walk closer towards this cowboy, he looks relatively normal, other than being so tall. He grabs the handle to the van's side door and slides it open. To my surprise, inside this van is a fully fitted workstation. Computers, monitors, hard drives, and all kinds of other electronics light up the inside of this van. He waves his hand for me to step in, and I see a dark brown mechanical chair by the big monitor in the middle of the van. Metal, leather, and all sorts of wiring tell me someone from another planet made this chair. I peer my head in to see if I would be alone in the van and I see five other cowboys all dressed in similar attire sitting in the back and waving at me like I'm a friend of theirs. This gesture of kindness confuses me even more. I step in and head towards my station fitted with a metallic glowing computer. It looks to be made of a liquid metal that is constantly rotating and changing shape. 
As I recline into the chair, I can feel the chair bond to me. A leather grips my skin and clothing as if it is embracing me with a warm hug. I try to move my arm, and the chair's arm moves with me. It seems to have become part of me. Despite being in this place where I'm being held hostage, this chair reassures me as it is my only friend. The chair turns me towards the monitors, and I see these rough cowboy men standing on a green screen. I hear their leader speak behind me. You see, we don't even know where we are. I understand now. Somehow these men have invaded my world because they have no world of their own. What is software and electronics to me is witchcraft to them. I look back towards him and nod, assuring him that I understand what he means. Taking in a deep breath, I begin to work. He stands over my shoulder, peering in at what I'm doing, and I can feel his confusion. I take these cowboys off the green screen with one simple click, to which he mutters in disgust at what he doesn't understand. I realize that if I can explain it to him, maybe he will calm down and tell me where my family is. As I motion for him to get closer, I start pointing out the different color graphs on the screen. He takes his time studying each one, but clearly doesn't understand what he sees. I begin to explain further how each color graph represents a section of time. Each channel and wavelength correspond to a different time vortex that is happening. All this chaos is due to them not being in their correct world. I stare at him, waiting for him to say something, anything, but he is just standing there with his jaw open and looks even more upset than before. I begin to get frustrated in return. Even my mother understands technology better than this guy. So I blurt out, Because you were not placed in a time of your own, you are causing different time periods to appear, and weird stuff is happening. He nods and smiles with that explanation. I get back to my work, trying to place them in some western period, but I have a hard time finding any footage. The longer I look, the more I can tell this ringleader is getting angry. The chair begins to tug at my hands, trying to take me away from what I am doing, but I continue to pull them back so I can keep working. Again, another tug, but this time, it's more violent. I yank my arms back up, frustrated that this chair is now turning on me. Then, the chair spins me to the right and pushes my head down. I am shocked at the force this chair uses to move me. However, it helps me see a cable disconnected from the computer. Reaching down to grab it, I plug it back into the front of the computer. A small whining sound begins as a hard drive on the bottom shelf spins up. The chair gently spins me back in place, and I see all the western files I have been searching to find. I was wrong. The chair wasn't turning against me. It was trying to help me. I take the files and begin placing them where they seem most appropriate. As I place each file, I see one of the cowboys disappear. They shout and roar with joy. Each one starts to point and ask to be next. I continue placing them in the order that I see fit, including the purple man, until the only one left is the leader who is still standing behind me. I stop what I am doing and turn to look at him. 
He has a big grin on his face, but it fades as he sees me looking at him. He asks why I have stopped, and in return, I tell him that before I place him back in his world, he needs to promise me he will give me back my family. Otherwise, I will set him in a world full of his nightmares. He nods, now wide-eyed with fear, assuring me I will get them back. I turn, and with a flick of my wrist, he is back in his world. I save what I have done in the program, and a message pops up on the screen. It says, Thank you. Here is your gift. Outside of the van, I hear a vehicle approaching rapidly. The engine roars and tires screech as a black pickup pulls up next to the van. I wonder who is in there behind the dark tinted windows. The passenger door flies open, and my brother leans out holding a shotgun in his free hand. He says, We found them. The chair releases me, and I jump into the back of the pickup. My girlfriend and the rest of my family sit in the second row, relieved to be free again. Joy fills my heart, and I embrace them with a hug. My stepdad presses the pedal to the floor, and we take off, heading somewhere safe. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode. Please leave a comment and check out our social media on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. We would love to hear your thoughts on tonight's episode. I'm your host, Zach Miller, and thanks for listening. Have a good midnight slumber.